The Rams with a 33-31 lead, and Sean McVay trusts his offense to go for it on fourth and less than a football. From the 42-yard line, Goff under center, Gurley behind him. He will sneak it, and he stumbles up to the 45, rides the surge to victory. The Rams are going to 5-0. To be able to put the game in the offense's hands for them to deliver and close it out. A lot of examples. Coaching staff did a great job adjusting, and, and that, that's what we talk about, you know, being mentally tough, and uh, certainly that was tested today. Uh, that was a terrific football game today. We, uh, you know, we obviously we went right toe-to-toe and, and with these guys, and, and uh, I don't know how many people out there thought that it was going to be like that, but the guys in this room did. Well, we're running it back, doing it one more time. This time on remote, of all places. Shay Warren, technically, but the house where I reside here in the greater Portland area, stretching all the, the way same, back. You still in the same house? I'm in the same house, yeah. Nice. As nice. Uh, as my guy Connor White came and visited me. Man, when was that? Was that this time last year, or was that in the summertime of last year? It was summertime. It was the summertime. summertime. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, this podcast is simply and purely for posterity. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Welcome like to it. welcome to for posterity, Connor. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Points. What about you? Doing good. Doing good. It's a beautiful, crisp fall day today. About uh, three hours after pouring rain. So yeah, per usual. Nice. How's yeah, Tulsa? It's been, it's been raining all day today, so I felt like I was right back in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you're, you're dying to get back here. Oh, yeah, I was loving it. Are loving you coming it. back here anytime? Uh, probably sometime like January, February. Okay, all right. Well, it's on my calendar. Um, week 5 in the NFL. Nice. Week 5 in the NFL was uh, a little all over the place. But we had some good games, like the Seattle-LA Rams game was a surprisingly really, really good football game. Then we had some games that really defined what it meant to be mediocre, which was the Sunday night game between the Texans and the Cowboys. Or that Bills-Titans game. Or that Bills-Titans game. That bad. Which, that could be described as bad. I'm pretty sure Josh Allen went... 10 for 19 in that for game. Like, for like 85 yards. For 85 yards, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not a good quarterback. I think we know that. I, I don't know if the jury's still out or if the jury's in on him being a bad quarterback, but I know I was not high on him. I didn't know anybody that was high on him coming out yeah. of college besides Mel Kiper, basically. Yeah. Um, but we got coaching decisions to talk about, man. It seems like every single week we've got similar topics, and it, it's with these – Coaching decisions as it relates to time management, strategy, but overall mindset and philosophy. And we've dug into this topic a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and I think we've made some headway. But let's start with the most recent uh, prevalent example that uh, you pointed out to me and I went back and and looked at in this Houston-Dallas game. And let's start. There's plenty of coaching decisions to parse from that game. Let's be clear. But let's start in the second quarter when... The Houston Texans are on the doorstep of scoring, and they try to go for it on fourth down. They end up getting stopped by the Dallas Cowboys. What happened there? Uh, so I mean, they got stopped. They called <laughs> the play, and they got stopped. That's what happened. But what? Here's here's what happened. Happened. So the coach, the coach has the ball. They have first and goal. I want to say from the two or the three, and they call pass 
they call it pass, they call it pass, they call it pass. Uh, and one of my favorite things to do when we're down to the goal line, if you ever watched Chip Kelly's Oregon Ducks, when they were within the five-yard line, essentially the only play they ran was the actual literal read option. Do you remember watching him and watching those ducks run that play? Oh, man. That play, that play in short yardage situations is nearly impossible to stop because all of the math starts working in the offensive's favor in that scenario. So one of the things, my biggest thing with that was, so I want to make two points. The first point is I thought there was really bad play calling because I understand that you are you have a little bit of a time limit, but at the same time, they still had one timeout. So it's not like running the ball is going to kill them. But the second thing is, what they were doing is they were making themselves so one-dimensional that they were eliminating any any idea of the run by a lot of their formations. I mean, one of their formations was an empty formation. And so, because of that, as soon as you become a one-dimensional team, and I'm, I love passing the football, but once you become a one-dimensional team, you're much easier to defend because everybody knows their role as soon as the play becomes a one-dimensional play. Um, so that was, that was thing number one, is I thought the play calling was poor. However, I thought what was most important, ironically enough, was the reaction to the result. And so we talked about this. Garrett, Jason Garrett, the Dallas head coach, after they got the stop, talked about how that stop was all about desire and want to and fight and grit and toughness and determination by his team instead of realizing like no they just called bad plays and if they had called a good play like if they had called a read option with a tight end leaking on the backside, i can guarantee you they would have scored a touchdown because dallas is playing so aggressively that any of those potential options probably would have worked out so a couple of things to unpack from that one of them being you know, Jason Garrett, it's really hard to read that guy in a sense of what he knows and what he doesn't know because it's almost too – we always talk about trying to push against what's convenient from a narrative standpoint. But my gosh, man, I mean, what's to suggest that this guy knows any level of sophistication about football? Um, there's really been nothing to prove that over the course of his tenure. Yeah, no, I agree. I would say the only thing that really suggests that he has any kind of sophisticated mind for football is the fact that he occasionally hires good assistants. Yeah, yeah. He's done a good job. He's actually done a good job with that. Ironic, as ironic as it sounds, he's he's done a decent job of surrounding himself with good coaching talent. So on that note, I mean, when he makes that comment to the halftime interview. Is he saying that simply because that's the media line, or is he saying that because he truly believes it? You know, it might be both. <laughs> See, here's 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 my personal opinion. Is I do think it's both, and I think a lot of coaches have been so ingrained to think that way that they do think that that is both the truth and both what the media wants to hear slash is the media line. And I think that's one of the reasons why someone like Belichick is so jarring when he doesn't say things like that is because you're so accustomed to hearing someone say, oh, well, we just fought hard, and then Belichick says, oh, well, we just executed. And, like, the difference in those two things is jarring to us because we're so used to hearing something. Yeah, and um, so, and then you make a good point on that note. It's like when, when those things, when you don't recognize the picture clearly, when you don't recognize that it was 
the other team's mistake and not your own grit, that impedes you from improving, does it not? Yeah, it does, and I think that's one of the things that that it shows a lack of self-awareness of what's actually happening. So if you believe that your quote-unquote grit or fight is what overwhelmed the other team in that scenario rather than, okay, perhaps the other team just made a strategic mistake here. We need to make sure that we're still prepared for a, a next chess move type thing. If you believe in your grit instead, you're not going to be prepared for the next chess move. And so you're not going to be thinking ahead. As for Bill O'Brien, you know, his play calling near the goal line more more often than just that play at the end of the half, it was questionable at best. I don't really understand. Like, he's getting a ton of criticism, and I think rightly so. But at the same time, how do we parlay that with that offense that we saw the first six or seven weeks of last season before a fluke, non-contact, practice, injury to his quarterback like that's the same coach it's the same play caller like is he just going through a funk I mean it you can't paint with broad strokes here with O'Brien I think O'Brien's a really interesting scenario because I think he's still finding his rhythm again calling plays for Watson and I think he's also figuring out again Watson's strengths and weaknesses while Watson is reintegrating himself into becoming a professional athlete I think it's I think it's those two things. Like it's one of the things that you saw actually in some of the goal line stuff that they did is they were running lots in on quarterback sweeps. You know, how about LA and Seattle from Sunday? You had a scenario which the Rams were favored by seven and a half points, but Seattle showed up to play. They play a style of football Seattle does now, which like it or not, it's almost so vanilla that it keeps them from getting blown out by anybody. It, it, they will run the ball 35 times, or at least that's the goal. The goal is to basically run it into the mid-30s without apology, um, almost regardless of production. Um, so almost by proxy, they're getting a 100-yard rusher in there. It's Chris Carson lately. But I like to see that because they can't pass protect well enough to become one-dimensional in the pass game. Um, so I like to see that, and it helps with time of possession and all that. And in this particular matchup, it helped them out because the Rams were scoring every time they touched the ball anyway. So, you know, the only way you could slow them down was to was to try to, you know, keep drives going yourself. Needless to say, heartbreaking loss for Seattle, but encouraging in a lot of ways too when they lose by two, 33-31 to the Rams. The moment to dissect that I want your opinion on. Well, let's before we get to that moment, let's sure. remember that in this game, Jared Goff had a pass go off of his tight end's chest and into a Seahawks waiting arms on the goal line. Which, we see that, though. I mean, that happens. It, it does, but... I mean, when you think about, like, again... Hey, that's, hey, that's hey. A, as a Seahawks fan, I know interceptions oh, yeah, at the but, goal line happen. Yeah, and they happen very infrequently, actually, compared to a lot of other places on the field. Are you saying that you should run it from the one? (laughs) Actually, no, ironically, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, this is a really good point of, again, we're playing the result over what, what 
potential outcomes instead. So right. that yeah. pass doesn't get intercepted. I think I think they go up by two scores or one score. I don't remember the exact scenario at that point in time, but that was a really big, not fluke play, because you're right, those things do happen, and you have to account for those and think about those. And, you know, that happens. That's part of the game. But at the same time, that's a play that is rare. And right. so when you think about it, there's a great play by the Seahawks. It was an unfortunate play for the Rams. And if that play goes the other way, the entire complexion of the game from that very specific point onward changes. And maybe the Seahawks aren't able to run the ball the rest of the game the way they were because they're chasing the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a style of play that's conducive to playing from behind. I'll put it that no, way. Uh, definitely not. They, they ran into that in Chicago. But I, I will still say, and I might be in the minority on this, you mentioned it before in one of our earlier podcasts. In the fourth quarter, you do what your team does best. Yeah. At some point when you're Seattle, you know, what you do best is you know, running the football and running play action. Russell Wilson is ridiculous on play action. All the stats show it. You can see it just watching. Unbelievable on play action. Deep ball. I mean, anything outside the pocket off that, he, he's great. But it, it's particularly effective when you can run the football with a modicum of success. We're not looking for much. We're looking for 3.8 yards of carry, let's say. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, we'll take that. But when the Seahawks were in Chicago, they were down by seven for a lot of the fourth quarter. And they, you know, middle of the fourth quarter, and they were running the ball still more than passing. And Seahawks Twitter was blowing up. They couldn't believe it. Fire Brian Schottenheimer. I'm not saying I love Brian Schottenheimer, please. But I do think there's something to be said to be patient enough to run the ball when you're losing in the second half. Because the... The game is long, man. Like there's, st- if you're down two scores late third quarter, you got plenty. You got plenty of time. It's yeah. about moving the sticks, and if running the ball will help you move the sticks, you do it. I mean, yeah. screw fans' level of patience, which is part of yeah. what we're getting to here. Yeah, but and you can even you can even run the ball with some tempo and stuff too. It's not right. like running the ball is just automatically running the clock out. Right. Right. Right, and running the football is so nuanced, it's almost like, it almost does it a disservice just to say running the football is, you know, it's running the football is, is not the same everywhere. You know, there are yeah. different ways to run the football, like you said, with tempo. Are you running it inside? Are you running it outside? Are you running it to a matchup? Are you running it against a specific front, a look that you get? Are you checking to the run? Right. You know, so so yeah. all those factors that was are one of the things that I did want to comment about this game is I thought the Seahawks did an outstanding job of sticking to their offensive game plan, which they they clearly wanted to maintain their rushing attack and then tap deep off the play action. And like that's all they did all game. Yeah. And it worked. And I didn't know I wasn't sure because I hadn't really seen Seattle stick to their running game and then stick to their play-action packages off of that running game. That consistently throughout a game, like ever since Russell Wilson's really been there, yeah. even when they had Marshawn. Yeah, it's it's been a long time. Um, maybe the second half of the 2015 season, they went on an absolute tear offensively. That was the last time that they were just, the balance was amazing. Um, so, But we hadn't seen it with Sean Harmer, that's for sure. Um so, All right, let's get to the scenario. Yeah, let's get to the scenario. What, one more thing before we get to the scenario, though. 
the when we talk about the complexion of a game, I, I, I call it like the shape of the game. The game yeah. takes a certain shape in the first half that sets it up for the third quarter, and then it sets it up for the fourth quarter. Do we discount that, I think, as either fans or, or critics? Like, I mean, when we talk about these coaches' decisions and all that, like it's so easy to kind of parachute into the 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 context almost if you will but like like you said if golf completes that touchdown you know who knows the i mean the hypotheticals are almost endless but if you're down 10 nothing to the rams all of a sudden we might be talking about a completely different seahawks offensive effort than that and that same can be argued for any game of all time like it's very important to me i think that the shape of the game what shape does it take early on to set it up for the second half and especially the fourth quarter that we honestly we don't talk much about because it's so easy to focus on the end of the game the the more high leverage moments that are already given to you yeah well you want to hear this is an old stat but you want to hear an interesting stat about how important the start of the game is yeah the team that is leading at the end of the first quarter in the pros wins 81% of the time (laughs) what yeah now, so that's a, know, that's an eight and a you, one, right? You, yeah, you can be tied, obviously, as well. So there's there are three potential outcomes in terms of you can lead, you can tie, or you can be losing. But that just that's a really good indicator of what you're kind of talking about. Where starting fast is actually, statistically speaking, more important than finishing strong. <laughs> Well, don't tell coaches that. But uh, actually, yeah, do do tell coaches that. It'll help them win, make money. Well, I mean, look look at how successful like the really good offenses are on their on their opening drives in terms of scoring. Like the best ones, like are so consistent in getting a field goal or a touchdown. Like I think the Saints had like a seventeen or eighteen game streak where they had a touchdown or a field goal every single time. See, and, like that starting fast is so big. It's the opposite of the Seahawks. They haven't scored, yeah, an opening drive touchdown in like 38 games or something stupid. Yeah, baby, let's go. Let's go Hawks. Um, All right, here we go. The scenario. Scenario. Late fourth quarter. Rams have the football with a 33-31 lead. Which is a fantastic score, by the way. I love these wacky scores. Panthers Giants also was thirty three thirty one somehow. I, I don't know how that happens, but Love it. yeah, it's great. There is a minute forty left. The Rams have the football with a two point lead. They have the ball um, minus forty at the minus forty. Yeah. First of all, I think it's, it's safe to point out if you're a Seahawks fan watching this game, when the Seahawks had the ball on the previous drive, they got a bomb to Tyler Lockett. To the Rams 35 yard line with like three and a half minutes left. Rams 35. From that point, it's a Sebastian Janikowski 52 yarder for the lead. Okay? But what happens is false start on Jermaine Fetty. So you're now to the plus 40, first and 15. Three yard run. Now you get second and 12. You call another run on second and 12, and DJ Fluker gets called for a hold on Indominus Sue. Moving back 10 more yards. And there's your ball game. That's your ball, that's that's your ball game because then you have second and eighteen, Russ second and eighteen. So you're still like ten more yards, and we can kick a field goal for the lead. Russell tries to throw a quick sticker out. It gets batted down to the line of scrimmage, and then he gets flushed out on third and long. Has to throw it away. They have to punt. 
So Seattle had your chance to win right there. Right. You give you get to the plus thirty five late in the game. You got to play clean and get a chance yeah, to win. Yeah. So yeah. you deserve to lose, in my opinion, when you fail to do that. Lay that out on the table. Then the Rams get the football after the punt. First play is a Todd Gurley 13-yard run. So you already give him a first down on the most crucial drive of the game on one play. All right. Now here we go. Todd Gurley 3-yard run, second and seven. Todd Gurley has an 8-yard run on second and seven that the referees somehow spot a yard shy of the first down. It's a terrible spot, and for whatever reason, McVay didn't challenge it outside of two minutes. I don't know why. But I think his mindset was just like, let's go for this anyway. Let's, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. Third and one, though, Gurley gets stopped a half yard short. Um, so it sets up fourth and inches. Clock is going to be stopped because Pete Carroll calls timeout. But as he calls timeout, they bring out the chains to measure. So the referees give Pete Carroll the option of whether or not he wants to rescind his timeout. He sees that they're short by three quarters of a yard. He decides to keep calling the timeout. Seattle's final timeout. In that process, the punting team for the Rams had gone onto the field. They had entered punt formation. After the timeout, McVay says, we're going for this, puts Jared Goff and his offense back onto the field and gets a quarterback sneak for the first down. McVay's praised universally as the hero, Jared Goff as the tough soldier that could execute a you know it's whatever yeah and he did it beautifully good for him jeez not bitter at all but the question is the question will always remain if pete carroll didn't call the timeout would the rams have punted right right yeah well i think i mean yeah you want to give your offense as much time to score that yes so to me to me i don't think i don't think there's anything wrong with that um, yeah, I, I, I don't have any problem with Carroll calling the timeout there because that's just, you got to strategically say, okay, my, my goal here is to maximize the amount of time my offense has. And there's no real good reason to let the clock be running because the Rams the option to um, let the clock run and then either punt or let the clock run, take a delay of game penalty, let the clock run. I mean, they, they could still be doing so many other things anyway. Yeah. So I think I think in that scenario, the way that I always view that is you want to maximize the amount of time your offense has to score. Or, I mean, specifically when you only need three points. Is it just me or whenever we talk about... Outside of that, though, I think the, I think the more interesting question is, would you sneak in that, in that scenario or not? As opposed to punting or as opposed to running a different play? As opposed to punting or running a different play. I <laughs> I would have I would have ran a sneak. Um, now, here, I just saw it work, so I'll, I'm totally guilty of, of, you know, recency bias. But the what what what's the right the right call is to go for it right what what you had something on fourth and one what's what was that thing about fourth and one that makes it sound like it's a much more gettable down and distance than people seem to think you convert like over 75 percent of your fourth and ones like it's like the last 20 years worth of data uh, on fourth and one attempts conversion rate is like plus 75 percent the, if you miss it though, there. If you miss yeah. it though, 
you know, Janikowski's got one of the bigger legs in the league still, and Seattle would have one timeout with a buck 30 to get, like, 10 yards to get into range to win the game again. So it is yeah. certainly a gutsy move from that spot on the field. But let's try to forget about the result, even though it worked. Process speaking, are we both in agreement that if any other team, if any other given team is in that situation with that score, with that time on that part of the field, process says the right thing to do is to go for it. I, I think so. And the reason why is because, this, mainly because of the stat I mentioned and because of, of the way, like, you have, to me it, it comes down to this. You have, you're in the lead and you have either one discrete task to eliminate essentially all possibility of loss and that discrete task is you need less than 36 inches right of real estate it's either that or you you're like the potential for continual bad scenarios opens up and opens up as each play continues right so i think i think the great outlier bad example of this is the saints vikings playoff game from last year where the Saints did everything right, except for they lost time on the clock. And then the worst possible thing happens, right? Yeah. Um, and, and essentially, to me, going forward on fourth and one says, I'm taking all potential bad possible outcomes into my grasp and saying they are either in this one discrete play or they are not. And I like that. I, like, I personally like that way of thinking. You know, and the data back you up on that decision as well. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well. I, I would defend McVeigh. I would defend Carroll. Is it just me or, or a lot here's, of our... Here's the real thing, too. So as a Seahawks fan, when you were watching that game and you saw the Rams go back out and line up to go for it on fourth and one, what were you thinking? You weren't. I'm guessing you weren't thinking, oh, great, I'm so happy they're going for it on fourth and one here, were you? No, I was thinking, oh, hell no. Right. And, and then I started getting mad about about Pete for calling his timeout. And then I remembered, well, because here's the thing. When you're watching in real time, you forget that the clock would start again once the whistle right. blows. Right. You know, because yeah. of, it, it stopped for the, for the measurement. But, it stopped for the measurement, yeah. But you're right. I mean, ah. You, it's, it's, it's not always the best litmus test, but I think it's a pretty good litmus test. Is asking what the other fans' reaction to a coach's decision would be, because I guarantee you, kind of going back to that Dallas decision, I guarantee you, every single Texans fan was thrilled that they punted the ball instead of went for it. Absolutely thrilled. Right. Well, I'll tell you this. Anytime I'm going up against a Sean McVay team and they're about to snap the ball on any given play. I'm thinking, oh, crap. <laughs> so, yeah, but you're right. That My particular reaction there was, I mean, I want the ball in Russell Wilson's hand is at the end of the game. He is more often than not going to come through. So, yeah, was, the possibility that that wasn't going to happen freaked me out and turns out for good reason. Um, anything else on, on the uh, board from, from week five that caught your eye that you want to get to here? Look, looking through some of these games, I mean, the Bills beat the Titans. That was disgusting. Um, that was an awful game. You know, how about Although, this? Actually, actually, let's let's run that back. So that's another great example of 
you can either look at the result of that game, which is the Titans lost, or you can make sure that you go watch that game. Titans receiver drops a perfect pass that would have been a touchdown for the Titans in that game. Right. Right. I mean, it's just like those kinds of things. And again, that happens. That's part of the game. But like one of the things that you'll start to see is like everybody thinks, okay, well, if the Titans lost to the Bills, it must not be that good. But in reality, like if the guy who probably is going to make that catch, let's say 97 times out of 100 makes that catch, the Titans win that game. Nobody has a problem with it. They probably end up getting an interception return for a touchdown in the last round of the game anyway. And it looks like they win the game by two scores. See, and Vegas watches all these games. That's how they uh, make their money when the public <laughs> thinks that yeah. the Titans are terrible for losing to the Bills. They'll get all that money back from that public perception next week or at a later game. Um, you talked about regression earlier. The Jaguars' defense played so well last year. Um, you know, what does regression look like for them this year? I mean,. I guess you could argue it looked like what it looked like in Kansas City. They allowed 23 points, kind of corralled Mahomes, but they still got beat 30-14. to 14. Um, uh, I, I would say regression, they don't look as fast, um, and their front four specifically isn't getting the same amount of pressure that they were getting last year. Yeah. And so what that's doing is it's making their secondary have to cover, you know, a half second to a second longer, and a half second to a second is all you need in that league to get open, to get those extra 10 yards, to get, you know, that little window that you need. And so all of a sudden, you know, a team that was the best in the league, it, you know, going from best to top 10, you're still good, but that's a big regression. Um. <laughs> the Bengals beat the Dolphins 27-17. Is it time to take the Bengals seriously? No, absolutely not. Wow, okay, all right. Ever. No, as long as Andy Dalton's playing quarterback for that team and Marvin Lewis is coaching for that team, I will never take them seriously, ever. <laughs> all right, let me look at some of these. Did you watch that game, dude? No, I did not. The Bengals' offense scored 14 points. I did see that the defense scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter or something like that. They scored 17 points. Yeah. No. Are you... Did the defense for Cincinnati score two touchdowns? The Bengals' defense scored two touchdowns for them. So they scored 13 points. (laughs) Yeah, they scored 13 points. I'm sorry, my math is bad right now. That's crazy. That game was a lot more about Miami melting down than the Bengals doing anything good. Right, and it's not like and it's not like the Bengals' defense is going to score two touchdowns for you every game. Very true. So, who would you like Steelers at Bengals this Steelers. week? Really? Yeah, I, I I think the Bengals are a mirage. Ooh, um, Chiefs at Patriots Sunday Night Football. That game, I think. Is the game, the game, and then whenever the Rams play, those are. The, I'm so interested to see what Belichick tries to do against that Chiefs offense, because that that's going to say a lot about perceived value. Because is Belichick going to try and take away speed in Tyreek Hill? Is Belichick going to try and take away size in Kelsey? Is Belichick going to try and blitz? Is is he going to mix things up? Is he going to try and drop back and play like? 
what his game plan will be, I am just so excited to, to watch. Yeah, I mean, how can you not be as a football fan? Um, are you surprised that New England is favored by three and a half points right now? Yeah, I think that's a little high. I think that's a little high. Um, I'd probably take the points there. Um, would you agree that New England might offensively have a game plan similar to what they've done against the Colts in recent years, which is, I mean, I guess I exclude this last Thursday night game, but run the football like crazy down the Chiefs' throat, keep Mahomes off the field, execute in the red zone, win this game 30-23 to type of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think that's probably where their strength is versus the Chiefs' defense anyway. Um, so, and that's kind of what New England wants to do, just in general. If if given all all their possible strengths, I think that's what they would want to do anyway. Because that way, again, it, it kind of goes back to how can I avoid as many bad potential scenarios as, as possible? Well, that's running the ball and controlling the play clock. Now, how you do that, if that's actually running the ball or if that's the short five-yard out route that Tom Brady's perfect on, if it's one of those two things, it really is kind of up to what the defense gives you at that point in time. But, um, yeah, I think that's what the Patriots will definitely try to do. Nice. Anything else jump out at you? Um, let's see. Uh, the Packers. The Packers just are a walking debacle. And it really, 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 really bothers me that Aaron Rodgers is surrounded by so much dog shit. Yeah, it's terrible. It's just so, so frustrating. You realize that if Mason Crosby even hits 50% of the kicks that he attempted, they would have won that game, probably. Mm-hmm. It's, that's just pathetic. Um, so that was that was just a pathetic game, and they're a pathetic organization, and it's frustrating to see literally the greatest thrower of the football ever um, not have the organization backing him up the way that they should. Um, and just going back to that, the Rams uh, watching their offense is is it's a true joy, and I know you're a Seahawks fan, so it wasn't fun for you. It, but I, but <laughs> I had a lot of fun watching that game. So here, here's a little peek into my mind. Uh, I, I had a little coin on Rams minus seven and a half. Oh no! So I was, I was betting against my own team. Oh my god! Rooting for them, shocked that they were competing, and then torn apart that they lost. Oh, it was the life of a. Yeah. yeah, I need to I need to just lie down for a bit. Um, good to see ring rates on the in the W column. Yeah, man, three and two on the year. Slowly but surely climbing the charts. Yeah, Andrew Luck had a big game. TJ Yeldon, Thielen, yeah. holy cow, that dude balls, man. He's he's had a great season for me so far. I might need to offload him soon. Oh, actually, that's a here we can do this on the pod or not, but. I was telling my friend Ryan, Ryan is a big Titans fan, and I texted him this this last week, and I said, you know what, all things considered, I think I'd get rid of Mariota. And he asked me why, and I said, because he's so inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get from him. 
And he was like, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. He was good last week. He's not been good this week. And I was like, that's my entire point. Um, but then the thing was, I, I was like, compare his performance week in and week out to your guys' defensive tackle, Jarrell Casey. Jarrell Casey's always really good for you, no matter what. He's always really good. That's the kind of performance that you want from a quarterback. You want consistently quality to outstanding performance. If you don't get that, you should just start moving on yeah. for the next guy. Um, and then, after that game, I watched Kirk Cousins play against the Eagles. And I have been so impressed by that guy, dude. Yeah. He has, he, I, I felt like every single big throw he made in that game, he delivered stepping into a throw and getting absolutely crushed. Except yeah. for that one, Michael Michael Bennett uh, rushing the passer penalty. Exactly. But, but I will say, he, he took some hits and he delivered some dimes off of those hits. And I have been really impressed by him. So Kirk Cousins, he has climbed my charts as, as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And you know what? Like, I wasn't sure he could do that. I, I, I wasn't sure he had that in him, judging from his time in Washington. Um, I knew he was good, but the consistency part I didn't know was there. And he's been consistent all year. Um, yeah. I like Kirk Cousins a lot. You know what? It makes me wonder. Like, the NFL... The NFL is so... uh, Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can. The NFL is so dynamic from week to week. That's the the word I keep coming back to it. That it's dynamic, fluctuating, um, unpredictable. That the two most important skills might be availability and consistency. But those are also the two most boring things. That's why I feel like Larry Fitzgerald might be one of the greatest ever. You know, Um, you know these guys that fly under the radar because they just keep playing and they keep producing, uh, even without drawing a lot of headlines, are some of the best players the league's ever seen because consistency and availability is is so underrated. Yeah, keep your eye on Michael Thomas of the Saints. He's going to be another guy like that. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, he is really, really good. All right, man, let's wrap it up there. Uh, This is for for posterity uh, on October 9th. It was always fun. Loved it.